0: Welcome to Lock on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, aka The Equalizer. Frank, <laughs> how was your weekend?
1: I had a pretty good weekend, Kane. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. Um, uh, yes, yesterday I went to a, a one-year-old's birthday party with my daughter. Uh, always exciting, going to small yeah. children's birthdays, and then... Uh, I had a friend coming over. Uh, we were uh, we had some chili last night. We were going to watch uh, the new the Mandalorian, uh, the new Disney Plus show that uh, Star Wars show that a lot of people are interested in. Yes. But first, I had to make everybody wait because at six o'clock central time, the Milwaukee Bucks played the Indiana Pacers, <laughs> and uh, thankfully, without too much drama, against a very hobbled uh, Pacer team that. I guess, was left basically they, their only guards, it seemed, were uh, Holiday Brothers uh, as of yesterday with Malcolm Brogdon uh, exiting Friday night's game. Uh, they were in Houston. He exits that game due to um, back spasms and then misses Saturday's potential you know, first game against the Bucks, which obviously was a bit disappointing in the terms of plot lines. Uh, and Jeremy Lamb's been out with an ankle injury. Um, and obviously, Victor Oladipo has been out as well. They did get Miles Turner back, but... Um, yeah, it was obviously this is not the the Pacers team that certainly they are hoping to be uh, as the season wears on. But uh, you know, Bucks also dealing without Chris Middleton, uh, and fortunately, you know, without too much drama, they uh, they take care of business and you know, 19 point win on the road, pretty much preventing the other team from doing much of anything offensively. They did. They did hit some threes. The Pacers ended up shooting better from three than, than two yesterday. Um, but yeah, in a lot of ways, when you kind of look at the inside outside stuff, it was uh, a very much Bucks template game in terms of, uh, you know, where teams were shooting from. And, uh, and ultimately, obviously, the final score showed that, you know, even if even if the pace wasn't necessarily as fast as the Bucs liked it, it, the shots were coming kind of from where the Bucks wanted them to.
0: Yeah, this was something we sort of touched on on Friday looking at this game. And, and yeah, I was I was disappointed that, that Brogdon didn't play as well because I, I just thought it was going to be an interesting uh, you know, storyline, clearly, to, to watch. But I wanted to see how Brogdon approached the game and whether you could... I mean, you can tell if a guy's got a little bit of extra fire in a game. And Brogdon's usually so low-key. So I was curious to see how he sort of responded to that. But in a lot of ways, it was kind of like, well... One of the big question marks with Brogdon with the contract is his health. And now the first time he meets the Bucs, he's out with the back. And, and it doesn't look like anything major. But still, um, that was a little bit disappointing. But yeah, this team, as I mentioned on Friday, ranked 30th in the league for three-point attempts. And their three-point percentage is is bad. I mean, they don't shoot them well and they, and they don't take them. So when you talk about uh, teams that the Bucks should match up well against, then the Pacers are definitely one of those. and. Despite that, as you mentioned, particularly to the start, they were knocking down some threes. And yeah. T.J. Warren <laughs> shooting under 30% from three on the season, bangs a couple early. And Sabonis as well, I, I'm sure I heard, we, we were getting the the Pacers feed in Australia. And I'm sure that they said he'd only hit two threes for the season before this game. Um, he, he ends up going two for three. And then they get Miles Turner back as well, who hits three. So yeah, you know, even though it's, it's still a 19-point a, a win for the Bucs, uh, the three-point shooting for the Pacers just kept them in the game, but I, I think ultimately the Bucks and and, and Mike Budenholzer would have been very happy with that being the way that the Pacers were going to try and win the game because they just got nothing inside points in the paint, fifty-six to twenty-six in the Bucks' favor, and that really wasn't a surprise to me when you look at the guys the Pacers had missing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know I think pretty much every every time we talk about a game, we obviously hearken to to that stat and. Um, you know, we've, we've obviously talked a bit about the bucks and the changing shot distribution, um, you know, in, in part, certainly due to Malcolm Brogdon being out, um, you know, you'd obviously take away one of your three main drivers, uh, that figures to reduce the number of paints and. Uh, points in the paint. I, I keep saying paints yeah. in the point. I said it last week, by the way. At some point, um, I, I heard points you in the it, paint.
0: I heard you say that that one time, and then but you were you were really rolling, and I was like, I oh, was rolling.
1: Just let him uh, up. Just let yeah, it go. Just let it go. I let it slide. Yeah. Feel free to just you know stop me because <laughs> Lord knows I have butted in with grammatical uh, g- corrections That's on good you. Point, actually, energy. that was
0: my opportunity. I, that was a rare yeah, opportunity.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't deserve to to just be let you know roll when I <laughs> when I make kind of stupid mistakes, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fifty-six to twenty-six um, is pretty remarkable. And I mean, you mentioned Sabonis; he goes two out of three from three, one out of ten inside the uh, inside the arc, which is you know pretty remarkable. I and mean, we talked about him being a guy who was putting up twenty and thirteen uh, coming into this game. So to limit him to just eleven points on thirteen shots and really try to force him to go outside to hurt you, um, I think that again just speaks volumes about the way this Bucks defense and you know. Brooke Lopez, five blocks in this game. Giannis had one block. Uh, they had a, a one instance where it looked like they sort of tag team blocked. I think it was Sabonis a couple times. Is there Sabonis or Turner? Probably Sabonis because Turner doesn't really go inside much. Um, but, uh, you know, I just can't say enough about how well uh, Lopez in particular, but the Bucks more broadly are just walling off uh, the rim and, and just really limiting Uh, teams from from getting those easy buckets and you know probably the the other obvious positive trend has been the bucks starting to do more of um, you know the owning of the paint on the other side as well and we've talked about the kind of reduction that um, but of late we've seen you know especially that you know Oklahoma City game obviously was a classic example with uh, 70 points in the paint obviously they relied very heavily on getting to the rim and in this game you know again a little bit slower paced game, 102 points total. Bucks, again, didn't shoot the lights out from three, 11 out of 39, just 28% versus 12 out of 34 uh, for the Pacers. Uh, interestingly, Giannis is like the only guy who seems to be able to shoot threes anymore on the Bucks, which <laughs> is uh, kind of a strange phenomenon. He hits three out of six tonight um he's been what you wrote a, a story about him what is he up to 44 percent 12 out of yeah. 27 in the past five games he's up to 32 percent for this season and i think calendar year is right around that same spot
0: yeah that was a very cautious story and it was funny actually because uh <laughs> i so i'm i'm working doing this uh, work for nba global which is basically nba canada nba australia and nba india and naturally, the, the team that is based out of Charlotte, generally when the Bucks are playing and, and I'm rusted on, they'll be like, all right, you can take the Yana storyline. So a lot of it is just based around stars because that's what people want to read, like naturally. So for this game, all week, they were, they pegged me for the Brogdon-Milwaukee rematch. And then I was watching this game and it got to the end of the game and they were like, you got a story from that? And I was like, uh, well... Giannis is still shooting threes. I'm like, I'm going to go with this. And it's, and I mean, the numbers are impressive. And, you know, over the last five in particular, it's not just the 44%, but it's the 5.4 attempts per game, which is just insane to think about when you think about how far he has come in terms of uh, not only having the the confidence to shoot them, but getting the green light to shoot those and to be getting up 5.4 a game is pretty remarkable. But while we're here, we may as well, we may as well talk about the three-point percentage because, yeah, the second game in the row, uh, obviously that Chris Middleton is out. He's going to be out for for quite a while. And uh, across those two games now, the Bucs are 17 for 72 from three, uh, 24% uh, in, in, in those two games from deep. And some of the key guys, some of your real volume guys from three for the Bucks, are struggling. Like Eric Bledsoe, admittedly, not known as a great shooter, but he's getting up 4.5 attempts per game and he's under 28%. Uh, Brooke Lopez getting up 5.3. He's sitting at 29%. Ersan Soba is, I mean, I keep talking about the line, but this is not good news. I mean, he's down to 25% now uh, from three, and even Wes Matthews down at 32, and Pat Conant at 30. It's, I mean, some of these guys that the Bucks are going to be relying on to shoot threes are really, really cold and, and, and have been all season.
1: Yeah, and so ironically, you almost need Giannis to be hitting threes yeah. on some of these nights because because it's not coming from other guys. Um, I think two guys who were encouraging uh, on Saturday, Dante Divincenzo and Sterling Brown, you know, yep. guys that we obviously highlighted for more of what they didn't do uh, in the other game on Thursday against the Bulls. They both struggled mightily to get really into any sort of comfort zone offensively and. Um, both guys I thought you know really played much much better basketball on Saturday Dante from literally the, the first possession he picks off a pass uh and drives in for a finish for the very first basket of the game um had another play very similar where he stole the ball ended up getting a dunk out of it had another nice finish um a little trickier finish in transition for uh, another kind of you know sort of short at rim type shot and then hit two out of five threes so 14 points from him on on six out of nine shooting obviously that's very critical you know if you can get that type of production out of Dante uh when he's you know starting but you know just generally when he's playing 24 minutes um you know there there are a lot of guys on this team whether it's Dante, West, uh, Sterling, Connaughton, Corver, uh you know all these guys unfortunately you just don't know what you're going to get from them night to night. I mean, you put throw Hill in that bucket too he's he's really struggled the past couple of games he was 0 for 5 uh, in the game in, in Indiana, five rebounds, four assists, but didn't score a point. Typical George Hill, plus 11 <laughs> in 19 minutes. Um, I want to do but, some you know, investigating in this, by the way. Games that George Hill has less than three points,
0: but has double <laughs> digit plus minus. Because it's incredible.
1: It's just strange. And again, I mean, you know, we, we always sort of warn, um, you know, y- y- the. the so George Hill being plus 11, I would say, is not because of, you know, he probably was not playing very good basketball if he's 0 for 5, right? You're yeah. probably going to guess he's not contributing a lot. But um, over time, yeah, it does seem like George Hill doesn't really need to score in order to be kind of a positive force on the floor, which I think is something that has uh, seemingly been borne out here over the past year, you know, given how much he struggled shooting when he first came over. And um, so he was a guy that struggled. But fortunately, you know, Connaughton didn't make didn't score a point. Corver just one out of six for two points. He was zero for five from three. Um, Hill, as you said, zero for four. So you actually needed, you know, some of these, these, these young guys to step up. You needed somebody to do it. Uh, and fortunately Dante and, and Sterling Brown, who was four out of nine, hit two out of five threes, six rebounds, four assists, 10 points plus 14 and 26 minutes. Um, that's important. You know I mean? Obviously I think we all want to see those guys kind of blossom and, and, show a, a positive trajectory given how young they are and, and that they're, you know, I mean, Wes Matthews, like we kind of know what Wes is. He's not, he's not getting better. Right. You hope you can get the most out of him. Um, but guys like Sterling and Dante, obviously you hope those guys can develop into, you know, potentially a, a role-playing starter, right. You're going to need somebody at that shooting guard spot um, long-term. So for those guys to play well is interesting. Also interesting Sterling continuing to get small ball four minutes uh, in this game after he also did that. Uh, against the bulls so that's i think an interesting uh kind of thing that we saw a little bit in this game um and you know blood so you mentioned blood so been on that really hot streak of scoring 20 points and was it five straight games or something like that um he started off he got a couple of uh, i think he scored like six quick points in the first quarter where he was getting to the basket on aaron holiday but um ultimately this was you know definitely not a, a game to write home about for blood so five out of fourteen Missed both of his threes, didn't take a free throw, ten points in twenty-six minutes. Did have five assists, but um not a not a big night from Bledsoe. And so I think it was you know all the more important that A, the defense play at a high level. Uh B, you get some of these young guys contributing. Brooke Lopez contributing, just just one out of two threes from Brooke, but six out of ten, fifteen points. So uh, a bit more of kind of typical old school Brooke Lopez scoring inside the paint in this game. And as we mentioned, the five blocks also had eight rebounds in 27 minutes. And Oh, by the way, because we don't really talk about them all that much. Uh, <laughs> we should mention Giannis's line, 26 points on 10 out of 17. We mentioned the three out of six from three, 13 rebounds, six assists, a steal, a block did have five turnovers, uh, but just 28 minutes to rack up all those stats. And, um, conveniently was a plus 19 which was the difference between these two teams in the final the final score column so um, you know kind of a Giannis doing Giannis stuff if, even if his his 30 point streak fell short it was mainly because he didn't really need to play uh, the the latter stages of this game as the Bucks kind of blew it open early in the fourth and uh, you know enough help around this was not a great offensive night from the Bucs uh, just a 99 offensive rating that's one of the worse uh, offensive outputs they've had this season just five out of seven from the line total um, which is obviously a a, one of the reasons for that we mentioned the poor shooting from three but slower pace but you know even with the slower pace um, you know the the, this we often talk about the fast pace making the you know inflating the score tonight not a big score score line with 102 points and the slow pace um, as well but you know, again, this was not a great offensive night from the Bucks, and really, it was that defense that that kind of won it. And again, you can argue, well, of course, they should they should be able to clamp down a Pacer team that that was missing a bunch of key guys. Um, but again, you just look at some of the the numbers from some of the Pacers. We mentioned Sabonis, um, T.J. Warren, uh, who had zero assists, and it felt like he had zero assists. <laughs> six out of twenty-one, fifteen points. I don't I don't think T.J. Warren is. Uh, I, I mean, he's a chucker I guess games like this you can understand why the Suns may have been okay with just giving him away in the offseason um, but he obviously uh, did not did you know did, did not help the the offensive flow much for the for the Pacers and Aaron Holiday five out of 18 11 points even with Bledsoe going under a lot and not seeming particularly engaged um, you know the young point guard did not end up really punishing the Bucks much uh, in his opportunity to start and, and obviously a lot of a lot of guys off the bench that um you know are not luminaries let's say as as a number of guys who otherwise would be part of the bench had to start in this game so uh yeah not a uh, you know not not a game that you'd look on as as a sterling moment in the buck season but that's what shows you're a good team you know when you don't play great but you know you can just crank out a nearly twenty point win on the road obviously uh it's there's still like some, some definite positives
0: Yeah, and I think defensively it is. I mean, like we sort of have both mentioned that, um, I mean, this is a team that the Bucks' defense is suited to. And you, you touched on TJ Warren. Yeah, he was two for six from, from three. So just four for 15 uh, from two. And, man, that guy likes just getting in a little post there and chucking up a fadeaway uh, mid-range jump shot that never, ever looks like it's really going to go
1: in. He takes some think. I think, I think, his, I think his, his made shots were also really hard. He hit some really hard shots. Yeah, I, so he, if he misses some of those, who knows what his numbers look like.
0: Yeah, it was. I, I, I can't, you know, I mean, obviously last year the Phoenix Suns weren't high on my list of, of league pass teams. But, yeah, he's, he likes to shoot. He likes to shoot, so but he got paid, so so good for him. But uh, you know, defensively, the the Bucks you, you touched on 36 points at halftime was the lowest opposition half uh, halftime point total in uh, since Bud has taken over the job over the last uh, couple of seasons. So I mean that's something of note, and it it just actually you know just for a bit of trivia uh, beat the 37 points that Miami put up in that game where the Bucks scored eight points in the first quarter and then somehow still led 38, 37 at halftime. But uh, so yeah, I mean, holding Indiana to 36 points and then a season low 83 on the season is certainly a positive. And now uh, the Bucks are actually up into third uh, for defensive rating in the league at, at 101. And it, it feels like only a week or so ago that that number was up at 107, 108. So yeah, they've, they, and, and look, the, the schedule is going to help that a little bit and you would expect over the next sort of uh, couple of games or a couple of weeks here where Middleton's out that they might be able to lock down some teams and, and really sort of solidify that, that their position as one of the better defensive teams in the, in the league. But uh, yeah, I want to go back to the, to the off, offense in the paint. You touched on Lopez. Only taking two threes is very odd for him. He normally gets up a lot more than that, but he was really going to work with that little... Uh, it's not it's outside the restricted sort of between the restricted area the the circle and the and the free throw line that little push shot that just feels like it's just money every single time like <laughs> it just feels like he is never going to miss that shot but when you look at points in the in the paint for the bucks uh, over the last eight games where they're seven and one they're uh, 55.8 points in the paint per game which uh equals with the Lakers for number one in the league compared to the first four games where they were down at 45 which ranked 22nd so they're really starting to, even though we mentioned, you know, uh, early in the season a lot how they were going to be able to work around not having that extra ball handler guy that gets to the to the basket in the starting lineup in Brogdon and replacing him with Matthews. It feels like the balance is, is starting to to come back.
1: Yeah, for the season they're still, um, you know, using cleaning the glass. Their percentage of shots at the rim thirty four percent versus forty point six percent last year. Yep. So it still a, a fair bit off of where they were a year ago, but. Um, Improving a bit on that number, uh, kind of of late, um, so that's encouraging. And obviously, you know, Giannis just destroying the way Giannis <laughs> can is, is a big part of that. They're first in the league in uh, finishing at the rim. They're currently at seventy point five percent as a team finishing at the rim. Last year, they were just shy of sixty seven percent, which um, which was third. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, can the Bucks honestly continue to finish? at the rim at a 70.5% clip. I, I don't know. Uh, that is an insanely high number to be at. Um, but you know, again, when you're heavily relying on Giannis and, uh, the way Giannis is able to, to both get out in and transition and, and do stuff as well as obviously just from the half court. Um, we saw, I mean, a couple of examples, I mean, we, we should talk about this because, I mean, you know, again, we, we gloss over these things too much, but, um, First half, the drive to his left and dunk that he put down on a I think it was both Jakar Sampson and uh Gogo Betadze, is that how you pronounce his last name? Um, or Gogo Goga it's a Goga.
0: It's a, it's a I should know this. I'm I'm the I'm
1: the I'm the pronunciation uh, you know, cynic around here. But um <laughs> I mean Giannis just flushing with his left hand, just facial, big time facial on a couple of guys was pretty incredible and then uh, he, you know, kind of euro steps and kind of was it was it who who was who did he get on on that play? He was attacking Miles Turner, I yeah. think, in transition. And so t- to basically like long stride your way and just completely corkscrew a guy as big as Miles Turner, um, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. Just the the stuff he can do, just night in night out. And just sometimes when you like break down these the, you like rewatch these plays, and it's just like how did how did this become a thing for you to like attack people this way? you know it's it's such a the way he's able to use his length and put the ball over guy's heads and you know kind of wrong foot people wrong foot himself at times and finish with power is just uh I man it's just amazing like just it, it makes these random games to watch such a pleasure just that you fact that you're getting to watch a guy play at this level and do these kinds of things which Again, there's just you know nobody has done these sorts of things night in night out in the NBA. It's it's uh, it's really just remarkable.
0: Yeah, it's 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 funny. I, I've been listening to a, a few other podcasts and and I was listening to the Bill Simmons, and I, I actually don't listen to the Bill Simmons podcast a lot. And I was shocked by a lot of things he said. But the, I do not know if you listen to the one with uh, Kevin O'Connor, but. There's a, there's a few strange things that, that Bill said in that one, but he—they uh, he, were talking about the MVP conversation, and they were saying that right now it's or Bill's opinion was right now that it was either Giannis or Luca. And first of all, I was happy to see that he—he he didn't mention Harden, who again is putting up 50 points on 40 shots, and you know it's up to you to decide how you how you value that. But Giannis is—he's better in every single, like almost everything you look at, he's gotten better. Now he's shooting threes. I mean, and the Bucs are winning. It's, I mean, to me, if you, if you look at a way you want to start, uh, um, you know, backing up a, an MVP campaign, I mean, geez, he's just been ridiculous. And uh, you mentioned all, all those uh, dunks and, and the blocks uh, yesterday as well. I mean, this game, you know, we, it eventually or uh, just turned into the Giannis highlight factory because there wasn't a lot of other stuff happening in this game except for Giannis just pulling out some ridiculous highlight uh you know every few minutes but the one thing that I I, I did that I personally like to see more for Giannis's health and my own stress levels when I'm watching him play because we know how hard he goes at the basket and you mentioned those two players at the end of the first quarter where he hit that three um I, I mentioned it in in that story I wrote because I I couldn't help but when I saw him. So there was five point four seconds left. George Hill put, inbounds the ball to Giannis at the end of the first quarter. He sort of casually takes the ball, dribbles the ball up the floor. Jakar Sampson is backing, back in backpedaling, and he's probably terrified at this point. And at and Giannis almost accelerates like a little bit, and that was literally all he needed to then casually walk into a to a three from the top and and nail that. And I couldn't help but think about that play in Minneapolis last week or maybe two weeks ago now where it was a great finish it was just a ridiculous finish from Giannis but if you're asking me what I would prefer to see him do at the end of a quarter it's like yeah just look after your body a little bit there and don't go flying over some guy sliding under you trying to take a charge and just knock down a three I think for his own health and all Bucks fans stress levels that was a very nice play to see
1: yeah that the Minnesota game, uh, the, the halftime finish where he, you know, there was the, con- the I mean, was challenge scary. play that gets over. Yeah, it was scary. I mean, the way he hit the ground and, uh, I mean, it, it, stuff can happen. Right. And yeah. he's been knock on wood, remarkably healthy and durable, uh, throughout his career. But yeah, I mean, you just worry that at some point, um, and we've seen him kind of turn ankles, uh, with the way he attacks sometimes uh, you know against multiple bodies. Um, but yeah, I mean, having that kind of reliable pull-up game, which, which is interesting, you know, I mean, early in his career, we talked a lot about like, oh, well, can he get to the point where he can, you know, just hit a catch and shoot three, right? And he still never really shoots those, right? I mean, he'll, mm. he'll occasionally shoot the... Um, pass it in and get it back, and then and then shoot a three that way type type play. But um, but it's not like Giannis is staying in the corner as other guys do stuff, and then he's waiting for the ball to shoot a three, right? I mean, he's pretty much it's him attacking from the top of the key, and then he you can tell. I mean, I think all of us who watch him enough you get the feeling like when he's sizing somebody up and he wants to shoot a three, it's kind of funny. Like it's a good, it's a good test of how much you watch the bucks. Like when you can kind of tell like Giannis wants the, he wants to shoot yeah. a three and you know, he'll usually get the ball and he'll start dribbling with his left hand a little bit more. Cause he wants to pick it up from his left to into his um, into his shooting motion. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and then that's the interesting thing. I mean, cause it's not like, you know, we saw last year, especially, you know, like the Philly game comes to mind. There's games where, you know, the other team is just daring him to shoot a three, right? And the guy's like sagging off to the foul line, things like that. Um, but for the most part, I mean, that, that's not really how he's tending to hit these threes at this point. Uh, most teams, I think, realize that if you give him a huge like a like ton of room to just gather momentum, it's probably going to be a self-defeating thing. You know, giving him a runway either to shoot a wide open three or to strive for the basket yeah. just generally is a tough way to defend him. Um, so you, you kind of have to be up a little bit on him just to, prevent him from getting going um, but that means that you know yeah you, you got to give him a little bit you know I think teams are feeling like you have to respect that three a little bit more because you know he's more comfortable shooting off the dribble and and straight away than then you know certainly um, you know you normally think of guys who want to just shoot catch and shoot corner threes right that's kind of what the the easiest shot nominally um, for these guys but uh, with Giannis obviously that's that's not something he's normally even trying to do so um, it was fun. It was funny too, because he hit the three early you mentioned, and it seemed like um, it seemed like Sabonis was. There were times where Sabonis was defending him, and he was wary of Giannis shooting that pull-up three, and so he was he was out a little ways, and Giannis was sort of kind of he, he was kind of trying to bait him into like a little fainted pull-up. And it was an interesting kind of cat and mouse, which I think certainly the more, you know, again, if this ends up being more consistent, if Giannis is in the low thirties moving forward, which obviously can change quickly, but um, it's gonna that That's kind of how he has to weaponize it. Right. Cause it's not that teams are going to be, you know, treating him like Steph Curry out there, but um, if they come a little bit further, then it's how do you weaponize that and drive? And we saw that uh, on Sabonis, he had a really nice uh, drive to his right and finish um, pass a bonus in the third quarter I think it was um, which I thought was a good example of, of what happens when guys are now maybe maybe we're spiking that three-point shot a little bit more um, but but yeah I mean ultimately this was you know just a very I mean what at this point is just a very standard Giannis game in a lot of ways you know maybe he doesn't hit three three threes every game but um, his combination of kind of inside outside stuff you know dunking uh off plays that he has no business dunking off of um it's obviously really fun and um have to give uh you know him and, and especially Brooke Lopez credit Lopez was defending Sabonis uh most of the time in the paint Giannis was down there a couple times um but Sabonis on Lopez and then Giannis was tasked with staying in the vicinity of Miles Turner who did have 16 points in his return to the lineup, 11 rebounds, four blocks, um, but six out of 14 from the field, three out of seven threes, just one free throw. So, you know, I think you can live with with that level of uh, you know efficiency. Although, ironically, that probably made him the the most efficient uh, of the the Pacers on a night when obviously there was very little that that kind of went right for them offensively.
0: Yeah, no question. And just probably uh, one last notes on, on Giannis shooting the threes. It was interesting last night that he got called for it. But this is something I've seen him do over the last couple of games. He's almost uh when he when he gets to that point where it does feel like a defender and, and I think it was Sabonis on this play uh, in the Indiana game. Uh he also did it a, a couple of nights ago in Oklahoma, I think, but he's starting to like try and incorporate a little hesitation move at at the at the perimeter when he sees wow. uh the defender. Maybe he's like Looking to like take that step towards him at the perimeter, then he sort of hesitates as if he's going to pull up, and then and then sort of looks to get downhill. This is not obviously a natural thing for him because he's never had to do it before. But he did get called for the carry last night. He got away with it, and a pretty suspect move, I thought. And I think it was the Oklahoma game, but it, it might have been Chicago. I'm not sure. But yeah, this will be something to see because we've always asked uh, the question that what the hell do you do if you legitimately have to respect him from three? And that's the interesting thing for me when I see a lot of, um, you yeah, know, whether it's national guys or, or just, you know, people on Twitter d- discussing his three point shooting, they're like, yeah, well, he's shooting 30, 32% on open threes. And it's like, well, okay, what are you going to do? Defend him? Like, because if you're going to defend him, then, then what happens at, at that point? So it's, it's starting to develop where, as you said, he he genuinely is uh, starting to get a little bit of respect out there. But I will remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by MyBookie. Use your basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes at MyBookie.ag, where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA and MyBookie will match 50% of your first deposit. Listening on the go, if you can't visit MyBookie right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcastscom slash offers. That's LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, Frank, I'm not sure if you have any other points on this Pacers game, but I do want to throw something at you. And this was interesting. I know there was a bit of conversation on Twitter today uh, with our friend uh, Dean Maniat. Maniat?
1: In Maniat? yes. <laughs> okay, I, I've, had this, I've, I've had to say his name out loud to to his face on our podcast enough that uh, he's had a chance to correct me. So if, if it's not Maniat, then it's his own damn fault if I'm getting that wrong.
0: Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Well, I that was I think that's the first time I've said it uh, out loud. <laughs> so I just wanted to just wanted to confirm that. But he was talking about the Bucks schedule because this is this is something that's kind of interesting to me. When I look at the Bucs now, they're 9-3. and three. They're right up the top of the East. And uh, interestingly enough, the Celtics lose today to the Sacramento Kings, who I don't know how, but the Kings have somehow turned it around after De'Aaron Fox has got injured. So I don't know what's going on in Sacramento, but they're all of a sudden winning again. And the Celtics are now 10-2. So the Bucs just half a game back from the, from the top spot. And they've had a really tough schedule. But obviously they had Miami without Butler, the Celtics without Jalen Brown, Uh, The T-Wolves without Kat, the Clippers without Paul George, who me and you were talking about before we started recording, and Paul George looks pretty damn good at the moment i think there's about 70 points in 40 minutes of
1: play or something like scary that. Scary good scary good yeah
0: and and then the thunder without steven adams so i, I guess to me when i look at this I, I say yeah like the schedule's been tough they've they've played good teams they've been out on the road which you know if you're a good team and you, you go on a, a three and one western western conference road trip that's general, generally generally a sign of a really good team but at the same time i still look at it and i, I feel like yeah the bucks have kind of just taking care of business it hasn't been anything remarkable they're just winning which they're a really good team and they should win but it does it doesn't hold the same weight for me as it would have if all those guys were playing but I think it's an interesting conversation
1: yeah I mean I think the I mean to me the big thing is just the home road disparity right I mean they've played only four home games and eight, eight road games at this point so yeah um, you know I, I don't care you know if, if you just tell me that then I would say well you've probably played a you know your schedule has not been favorable. Um, and then that's kind of one thing too, like when, when you look at, um, uh, like various strength of schedule metrics, like I always like the first question I already I always ask is, well, how does this differentiate between home and road um, games? And again, over 82 games, everybody plays the same number. So it doesn't really matter, I guess. Um, but in, you know, sort of like when you take a snapshot during a season, um, I do think it's interesting, especially early, given that, um, you know, the Bucks are among the teams that have played the, the fewest home games in the league. So the, the Raptors similarly have played just four out of 12 games at home. Um, Philly has actually now played nine games on the road and four at home um they're they're up to 8 and 5 but they've been kind of scuffing scuffling along a bit um but yeah i think you know to me the fact that you've only played four games at home um you've done one of your main uh, western road trips already and even in spite of that i mean if i go on right now at 9:45 central time on sunday night and go to nba.com um the bucks have the the best net rating in in basketball again uh you mentioned the defense is up to about like third the offense is eighth or so which kind of has flipped in the the past week there was a brief period where they had the best offense in basketball that has um, come kind of crashing down a little bit here with uh, a couple of you know less than stellar offensive outings but they've had some some strong defensive efforts and you know the looking at the cleaning the glass game log the game against the Pacers is is in the hundredth percentile in terms of defensive rating so um, you know, 77 points per 100 uh, per clean the glass uh, in that game during non-garbage time. So, um, so yeah, the Bucks' defense is, is certainly coming around, and uh, you know, as as you mentioned, uh, they're second in the league in fewest shots at the rim. They're first in uh, percentage allowed at the rim. So, um, you know, again, certainly like that defense, you feel very good about that, even with. Um, the very high frequency of three pointers can you know, allowed. Obviously, that's been something that we have, um, you know, noted since last season. You know, the Bucks, they give up threes. Um, it's it's not necessarily something obviously that they're trying to do, um, but they they do give a lot of threes. They were last in the league last year. They're second to last this year. They're actually three percentage higher points higher this year than last year but um you know net net i think last year they were nine and threes through 12 games this year they're nine and three through 12 games um and obviously this year it's just very different in the sense that we expected this right (laughs) i mean you know last year um we thought they would be much better we didn't know how much better and uh obviously this year it's you know what have you done for me lately and uh has had to elevate his game even further to seemingly make people (laughs) realize how good he is. Uh, and you know, with the bucks, obviously the rest of the team with Brogdon being gone, um, you know, understandably, I think people are in much more like, all right, you know, show me, you gotta, you gotta prove it to me, uh, that you're, that you're even better than last year or that you're as good as last year. Um, but it's interesting. And it's interesting too, like as people think through like where this bucks team is now versus the similar spot last year, I mean, keep in mind too. Last year, I mean, Matthew Dellavedova was still getting, you know. I mean, I don't think he's. He, he, I don't think he played in the first couple of games last year. But, um, but you know, Delhi was like kind of one of your backup point guards last year. You hadn't made the George Hill what's your, trade yet what's your at point this there? time of year. What's your point there, Frank? Uh, you know, no, no shade at. Uh, well, okay, yeah, no <laughs> shade at at at, at Dele. Um, But you know, I mean, I think that's the thing. Is is it's weird thinking about last year's roster in a lot of ways because. Yeah, John Hanson. Um, John Henson was still around. Yeah. Think about how many big men were on that roster at the beginning of last year. <laughs> you know, you had, you had John Henson, you had Maker, you obviously had Brooke, you had Giannis Ersan, you had Christian Wood and DJ Wilson, both on the, on the roster as well. Um, it was, man, it was a crowded, crowded front court to start last year. Um, but it's, it is kind of funny uh, to kind of think back and, you know, we think of this team as, you know, it, it's it's blood hill brogdon in the backcourt and you know the group the group that obviously is is there uh, you know on the wing in the front court but um you know hill didn't come over until a couple months into last season brogdon ended up getting hurt late last season hill had a an injury spell on the sideline you know hill and brogdon actually weren't both healthy um for really that much of last season. I think there was only a couple months last year where they were both healthy. And in most of that period, Hill wasn't shooting at all. So it's it's just kind of weird like to kind of benchmark this team against last year's team um, just because last year's team, you know, sort of evolved over the course of the season. And obviously Meritich then shows up late in the season, but then he had some injuries and then disappears in the playoffs. So it's kind of weird. Like I I don't think there's any doubt that the team you had at the end of last season was was more talented top to bottom than this one, you know, especially when you throw in Miritich and and Brogdon in particular. Um, but in terms of, like, you know, the 60-win team that, that, you know, got them to the East Finals last year, it is also weird to think about because, you know, those 60 wins came with a team that, you know, generally was, wasn't was the group that that sort of was the full-strength version that you had at the end of last season. So, um, you know, I think speaks to just generally the, the system the Bucks have the flexibility you have when you have Giannis as the fulcrum of everything. Uh, And, you know, again, just the fact that the bucks have become just a very systemically strong team. And I think to me, the defense is the most obvious piece of that, right? Just the fact that night in and night out, um, they don't give you easy buckets. They make you shoot threes. Oftentimes it's guys who maybe don't want to shoot threes that are shooting a lot of those threes. And obviously the results for the second straight year are, are speaking for themselves.
0: Yeah I I think that's a okay so I think that's a really good point you touched on is the expectation and I think that's definitely yeah I mean when you say that this team you would think like if you're sort of gauging the the general feel from Bucks fans or even the entire sort of league I I guess about Milwaukee you would you would not believe that this team has the same record as they had at the same point last year but um and that and that comes just from you come in this season thinking okay well you won 60 last year so uh, you're good. So any loss, it's like, why did you lose this game? Like, what caused you to lose this game? And the fact that, uh, you know, two of their three losses, so their three losses, when you think about it, is pretty remarkable. One of them was a buzzer beater uh, that should never have happened. And in the other two games, they were up by 19 points and 21 points. I mean, they've been pretty hard to beat and they're going to be a, a hard team to, uh, to beat. But you, you touched on the road record and that's a, that's a really good point. So six and two on the road to start is clearly very, very good. And when you look at the the schedule upcoming, they'll finish this uh, road trip that they have uh, coming up in these next couple of games. So Chicago, which we might just touch on uh, quickly at the end. And then they, they travel to Atlanta, who, by the way, just a little scheduling note, they lost by 49 points to the Clippers uh, yesterday. And as we're recording here, it's halftime, and they're down 28 to the Lakers at the half. So that's a brutal Staples Center double for the Atlanta Hawks. So... <laughs>
1: the Lakers will be the net rating Kings of the NBA again by tomorrow. So I had to note that in this, in these few hours in the few hours here before that happens, the bucks will, will claim that title, but uh, yeah, we can only hope that the Hawks continue play defense like this uh, next week, later this week when when the bucks see them.
0: To be fair, I will say that I I don't think that the Hawks are going to be the only team that get destroyed in the Staples center uh, back to back this year, which they are scheduling a lot, which, you know, it's funny. I mean, maybe a couple of years ago when when uh, teams were like, why do we have to travel to LA on two separate occasions? It's kind of annoying. Let's just get this trip out of the way. Now they're doing it and they're making them do that on a back-to-back. And it's just an absolute buzzsaw to walk into those two teams. And it's like, you better win that first game because if you don't and you're taking on one of the other LA teams on, on the uh, second uh, game of a back-to-back, that is pretty brutal. But once the Bucks hopefully take care of the Bulls and then the Hawks, Twelve of their next fifteen are at home. So that is a is a pretty nice stretch for the for the Bucks to stay at home, practice. Uh yeah, probably take them right through until uh when Chris Middleton is back. So things are gonna even out there. And I would say that there's not too many times in, in the NBA season where you get twelve or fifteen uh, at home. So certainly a favorable couple of weeks for the Bucks. But we did touch on the Bulls. I don't know how much you want to go into this. I mean the Bulls are a bit of a mess at the moment. Boylan is uh Boiling, and uh yeah it's funny actually i I was looking at this earlier and the bucks will be going for their eighth straight win over the chicago bulls and their last loss against the bulls you remember these two games back in 2017
1: where they lost in december miritich miritich games yeah
0: yeah the miritich games that felt like the breaking point for jason Kidd.
1: yeah so frustrating those games i remember those yeah
0: I remember I was driving in in Australia. I was going on a on a road trip somewhere, and I was listening to Ted Davis on the uh, in the car. And for the second one, um, which was December twenty six, yeah, day after Christmas, and I've listened to Ted a lot, and I don't think I've ever heard Ted. I mean, I've heard him like announcing some bad bucks teams. And I don't think I've ever heard him more broken and pissed off than he was in that second Bulls game. Like he was furious with what was going on. And and you know, as we know, a couple of weeks later, Jason Kidd was gone. And I think most Bucks fans would take those two losses if that was the end result.
1: <laughs> it worked, out. It worked um, out. But yeah, it's it's been remarkable because. Um, you said. I mean, you mentioned there's been some some weird games uh, it mixed in with with the, you know all these these Bucks wins. I mean, I think back to um, there was that game earlier this this calendar year, so last season um, where Giannis rested and Bledsoe and and Lopez and Middleton. I I, I, th- I think Brogdon had a, a good game that game as well um, where they won in in Chicago. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I mean. At some point, the Bulls are going to sneak out a win um, <laughs> against the Bucks. Like they can't, you know, the Bucks will not go undefeated for the, you know, the century, uh, the remainder, remainder of the century against the Bulls. But certainly, right now is a good time to be playing the Bulls because, as much as it seemed like they had a a solid summer, uh, it just has not translated into, um, you know, any sort of consistency in terms of production. And again, hopefully on Thursday they do not shoot as hot from three as we saw them shoot uh, in Milwaukee. Um, we'll see if, uh, Thad Young plays with fire, uh, after being outraged over the <laughs> Eric Leto post, post buzzer dunk, uh, in Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that was a thing against the Bulls, uh, you know, in this last game, uh, you know, as much as the the Bulls were making shots, it just seemed like the Bucks could always either get Giannis or Bledsoe to just basically say all right I'm just gonna go one-on-one and get a basket yeah. I'm just gonna go and create a shot get going towards the rim and I don't know if that was really necessarily great team basketball that we saw from the Bucks. it seemed like they sort of fell back on relying on sort of isolation one-on-one stuff uh when when that happened but I mean it worked you know like the, the Bulls were never able to really get a commanding lead even when all those shots were falling and the Bucs were missing um and you could argue you know hey when you're missing threes, don't just keep settling for them, right? Like Giannis blood. go drive the ball, go attack the rim. Right. So um, I think that was, you know, certainly something that we saw the bucks, you know, with this, this onslaught of paint points that they've had of late. Um, that was kind of a clear example of, of how they are able to, to use that ability to get to the rim um, as a, as a good way to kind of um, blunt a, another team's hot shooting from three. So um yeah, I don't think anybody needs us to throw in a bunch of analysis on this game. Uh, I think, again, you just hope that when they roll it out that, uh, you know, the real Bucs and the real Bulls show up. And if that happens, then obviously you expect to, to get a favorable result.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a busy week, actually, um, for the Bucs. It's funny, after last week where they had that sort of rare three days off, they'll now uh play three in four nights with the bulls hawks and then the blazers uh come to to five seven thursday night camelo camelo anthony uh comes into five seven four and that's going to be uh you know what i i bet you with the amount of people that are really excited to see Melo play i mean that guy's still going to sell tickets
1: i mean you hope the bucks don't need an opponent it's to true sell. milwaukee probably they sell don't. tickets yeah um but I mean, maybe he sells tickets, and that people are gonna to want to see Giannis uh, dunking on him if, <laughs> if he actually has the misfortune of guarding him. But I'm I'm guessing we're gonna see Bench mellow, sub Mello. Uh, yeah. So so maybe we're gonna see Rusty Mello versus Urson. Uh, rusty Urson taking you know step back threes and and well, let's be honest, he's not been hitting very, very many of those of late. So um, certainly we'll add a layer of intrigue for uh, a game against the Blazers team that has not been playing particularly well no. and. Um, You know, they've had, I think, really nice breakout season so far from Anthony Simons, the young, uh, you know, guard playing behind Dame and CJ, but everything else is tough. Um, You know, a lot of injuries, Zach Collins is now out with Nurkic also out. Um, You know, it's, it's just been a a really tough start of the year for Portland. And um, I know, I think a lot of people looked at them as a team that first off was going to have a hard time replicating the, you know, final four appearance they made last year. but you know, again with the way that the West is, how competitive they are, um, you have a tough start. I mean, you just don't know, right? I mean that that could be the difference between just missing the playoffs and being the fifth or sixth seed, right? I mean it's 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 sort of definitely um a pretty tough year to to have a slow start out out West.
0: Yeah, it definitely feels like a I mean, it doesn't feel like it. It is. It's a little desperation move from the from the Blazers bringing Mallow in. Um, obviously, they've had a few injuries, but there's only so many years you can, you know, hope that Dame and CJ are going to carry your franchise to the to the playoffs. I mean, then t- those two have been just ridiculous, and then you bring in Whiteside, and it's just a weird team. They lost a bunch of important bench players. Now they've got Mario Hizonia like playing real minutes, and it's just it's just all bad. But yeah, the Bucs... Here,
1: here's by the way, here here are the bottom four teams in the West right now. <laughs> Imagine! Imagine if someone had told you this uh, a year ago, right? Warriors, uh, the Golden State, yeah. the Golden State Warriors, who look completely hopeless. D'Angelo Russell's out a couple weeks now, at least. Sounds like with a, they're injuries right now, right? I, I don't know. They don't they're, want to I play. Mean, <laughs> they're this. Yeah, they, they've got like literally the Santa Cruz uh, Warriors out there <laughs> most nights. Um, the Warriors are are awful. Um, the Pelicans at four and nine, yeah. obviously had much higher hopes. Zion being hurt has has obviously been a problem. But you know, I think there's obviously other things going on beyond that. Like, I mean, they could still be a competitive team, I think without Zion. Um, but then the Spurs and the Blazers, both five and eight tied with the Grizzlies, um, you know, well out of um, playoffs. Again, they're like a couple games out of a playoff spot. So, I mean, it's so early, it's hard to, it's hard to act like, Oh, like the, the season is off the rails, but um, you know, it just speaks to, to the West and how good it is and, and how little margin of error these teams have. I mean, I don't know Spurs Spurs quietly you kind of wonder like maybe this is the year where they finally uh, miss out on the playoffs and obviously Golden State trying basically Golden State's trying to run the 1997 Spurs uh, playbook it seems where they just basically tank for a top pick and then come back the next year with all their guys magically healthy again
0: yeah it's kind of scary and then but then you look at the ace and uh you know Shaka Knicks at the bottom, just doing uh just doing just
1: do, doing next stuff.
0: Just doing Nick stuff. They're just doing what the Knicks do. They're they're a rabble and everyone expects it. And uh they've already had their highlight of the year. They got to yell abuse at Porzingis and uh you know, if they played they're like they're like the the Knicks to the Mavericks or like the Phoenix Suns to the to the Bucks last year. They've they've won three games for the year and two of them uh were against the Mavericks with you know, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. But uh back to the Bucks, as we mentioned yeah 7 7 p.m tonight against the chicago bulls that's a franchise record seven games in a row against the bulls actually i just looked that up as we were going so looking for their eighth win in a row against the bulls frank thanks for joining me on this uh sunday night
1: no problem as always look forward to hopefully talking to you
0: Alright, we will leave it there for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman. We'll be back after the Bulls game.